Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. We're just going to read one verse tonight because that's the only verse we're going to cover. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. It says, And from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. May read it to us one more time. This is the passage that we're going to be studying tonight. From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're going to spend all our time uh, in tonight's study dealing with the depth of this verse. Now, I've handed out to you, or Elise has handed out to you, a wonderful definition of the kingdom of God written by a man named Gene Mims in his book, Thine is the Kingdom. Uh, for those that are listening online, I'm going to read it and we can kind of follow along. This is a great definition that we're going to try to unpack a little bit tonight from the scriptures. It says, the kingdom of God is the reign of God through Christ in the lives of persons as evidenced by his activity in, through, and around them. The kingdom was prophesied in the Old Testament, pictured in Israel, proclaimed by John the Baptist, inaugurated by Christ during his public ministry on earth, extended in the lives of believers through the church in the present age, and will be consummated by Christ when he returns to the earth to rule with his saints. Now, as you can see, there's a lot to the kingdom of God. There actually is a lot of confusion uh, about the kingdom of God when it comes to the church understanding this, this uh, concept and this, this actual reality of the kingdom of God. We're going to be dealing with that tonight. I hope to be used of God to show you from the whole of Scripture what the Bible actually says about the kingdom of God, because there's a lot of people using the term but they have different meanings for that term. And hopefully by the end of tonight, we will have a biblical understanding of the kingdom of God. Now, if you remember, Matthew describes the kingdom of God, though, as the kingdom of heaven, since his readers were predominantly Jewish and would revolt to seeing the word God written. Let me show you what I mean real quick as a reminder. Go to Mark chapter 4 and look at verses 30 through 32. Mark chapter 4, verses 30 through 32. And he, Jesus, said, what, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So here we see in this parable, Jesus says, what can I compare the kingdom of God to? Go back to Matthew and look at chapter 13, verses 31 through 32. Matthew 13, verse 31, And he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. So here we can clearly see that Jesus was talking about the exact same thing that Mark recorded and Matthew recorded. Mark had Jesus saying the kingdom of God. Matthew had Jesus saying the kingdom of heaven. But we know from our study and from our history of studying these books, Matthew's audience was Jewish. They would not allow someone to write even or to say the name God. It was too holy to be spoken. So Matthew, in reference and deference to his readers, called the kingdom of God, which Jesus called it all the time, the kingdom of heaven. That's caused a lot of confusion, unfortunately, to a lot of people. Some of you know, because you might have been raised in those type of churches or denominations, that since the church has started to kind of move into what they call, we call replacement theology, where they interpret the scriptures where everything's about the church now and God's done with Israel, 
When we hear kingdom of heaven, a lot of people think that kingdom of heaven is when we go to heaven. But I want you to see tonight that when we see in Matthew the term the kingdom of heaven, it's talking about the kingdom of God, which is going to be literally on the earth. And so that's important for us. So just as a reminder, when we see kingdom of heaven, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's talking about the kingdom of God, which is, as you see from your definition, has many aspects and many facets. But ultimately, it is a literal kingdom on the earth where Jesus is going to rule and reign. We know now from the book of Revelation for a thousand years. Now, when Jesus began his ministry by proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he actually was continuing the exact same message that John the Baptist had preached. Go to Matthew chapter 3. Go back to chapter 3 and look at verses 1 and 2. It's going to sound pretty familiar. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Sound familiar? Jesus actually was just continuing the same message that John the Baptist was preaching. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to take a look at what is this kingdom then? What does the Bible tell us about this kingdom? What do we need to learn about it? Here's the first thing I want you to write down in your notes. The kingdom of God was prophesied about and promised in the Old Testament. I'm going to show you the Old Testament promised and prophesied about a coming kingdom on the earth. Now, I'm going to say that one more time. The kingdom of God was prophesied about and promised in the Old Testament. But before I show you those verses that do that, I also want to remind you of something. Please note that even though Satan has been given some authority over the earth for a time, and we've dealt with that already in our previous studies, God's kingdom authority is supreme and has always existed. So as we talk about the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God is going to come and how the kingdom of heaven is at hand or the kingdom of God is at hand, don't think for a second that God's kingdom authority is one day going to be there, he's always had it. And I want you to see that from Scripture. Go to Psalm 145. Even though Satan has been given some rule and reign on this earth for a season, that doesn't mean that God is not on his throne. That God does not have control of all the kingdoms of the earth. Go to Psalm 145, verses 1 through 13. It says, a song of praise of David. It says, I will extol you, my God and King. And bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. So as we talk about the fact that God's kingdom is going to come and God's kingdom is at hand, does that mean that God's not king right now? No, he's always been. God's always been in authority. Go to Psalm 103. Back up a few chapters to Psalm 103. Look at verse 19. It says, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. 
Is God sitting in heaven waiting until the time when he finally gets control again? He's always had control. He's always had control. But for a season, he has allowed for his purposes Satan to have authority and dominion. So keep that in mind. Don't think, man, I can't wait till God gets control again. He's always had it, never lost it. Go to Psalm 47. Look at verses 1 through 9. Psalm 47, verses 1 through 9. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with, a loud, with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us in the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of God of Abraham. But the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Now again, We've been taught, and hopefully you understand from the scriptures, that Satan's been called the ruler of this world and the prince of the power of the air. And for a season, he's been given some authority on the earth. But don't lose sight for a second that even though Satan is the ruler of this world and the prince of the power of the air, even when he was supposedly the authority on the earth, he would ask Jesus for permission to, to mess with the disciples. Why? Because God is still king. He's always been king of kings and lord of lords. We always say, one day he's going to be king of kings and lord of lords. No, he's king of kings and lord of lords now. He never lost that. He had to go get permission. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He had to have permission in the book of Job. So as we get into the fact that the kingdom of God is prophesied about and promised in the Old Testament that it's going to be coming, don't lose sight for a second that God's authority and his kingdom has always been in his hands. One more passage. Go to Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2. Psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. All right. So is God going to one day when the kingdom comes to the earth, find, is he going to be in control? He's always been in control. He's always been in control. He's king of kings, and he's ruler of the whole earth, even though for a season he's allowed Satan to have some authority and some dominion. But if you know that, even though he's already been king and has been, didn't he give man some dominion as well? He has his purposes where he lets people have some authority in certain places and areas for seasons and times for his purposes, but he's ultimately in control. So, but God's word prophesied a time, though, that was coming, Listen closely, when a descendant of David would come and set up his eternal kingdom on the earth. Let me say that to you again. The Old Testament prophesied and promised that there was a time coming when a descendant of David would come and set up his eternal kingdom on the earth. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7 and look at verses 8 through 13. Starting in verse 8, it says, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, God speaking to Nathan the prophet, Thus you shall say to my, my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should become prince over my people, Israel. 
And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. By the way, has that happened yet? Nope, that's still coming. And violent men shall afflict them no more. As formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel... And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. And I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom. How long? Forever. So here's a promise from God to David. Hey, you're going to be a mighty man, and I'm going to make your name great. And one day, I'm going to plant the people of Israel in the land, never to be bothered again. I'm also going to take one of your descendants and make him king, and his kingdom I'm going to establish forever. Go to Psalm 89. I hope you understand that the Psalms are full of prophecy. It's not just a songbook. Look at Psalm 89, verses 1 through 4. It says, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant... I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. So here we see it in the Psalms as well. They understood that God had promised David, an offspring of David would be given a throne forever and ever. Go to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, look at verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. We'll come back to that. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Folks, I hope you understand something about progressive revelation. Progressive revelation is when God gives us a little bit of information, but then a little bit later, he gives us a little bit more and a little bit more. Let me give you an example. God comes to Abraham and says, you're going to be a mighty nation. Now, does Abraham know how that's going to happen? No. He thinks it's because he and Sarah are going to go and make a baby, but that doesn't happen. For 25 years, they're not able to, 24 actually, they're not able to make a baby. So then he tries to, with sleeping with Sarah's handmaid, to fulfill this promise. And then God gives him a little bit more information. He goes, no, a son from your own body is going to come. And of course, then in chapter 17, he, he, Abraham says, oh, that your blessing would come through Ishmael. And God gives him a little more information. And in chapter 18, he then gives him a little bit more information and says, no, it's going to be from Sarah. And so you see there's revelation and there's progressive revelation. And we see this now. God made a promise a while back to David. 
And then the promise gets getting bigger and bigger. This one, this descendant of David, they don't know who he is yet, but he's now not only going to be on the throne of David forever and ever and, and ruling and reigning during a time when Israel will never be bothered again. What did we learn from Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 in progressive revelation about this one whose government is going to be, the government is going to be on his shoulders and his kingdom will have no end. What else do we learn now about him? He's also going to be who? Mighty God. Do you see it? This child, this one, his name's going to be wonderful. Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Go real quick to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. A real familiar passage that we love to look at at Christmas time. Go, go to Micah chapter 5. Keep in mind Isaiah's prophecy. This descendant of David is going to be God. It's going to be God. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Look at that. The prophecy about the fact that now we have a progressive revelation. We've just learned some more. This one coming from David is going to be born where? In Bethlehem. Oh, but his uh, coming forth is from where? From old, from ancient days. How in the world is that possible? How can this be a future prophecy about this coming one going to be born in Bethlehem, but his coming is from ancient days? Oh, <laughs> he's not just man. He's not only from the loins of David, a son coming from his own body, but he's also God himself. Go to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, look at verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. He, he looked human. And he came to the ancient of days, God himself, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Again, we see the Old Testament had prophesied that there's this one coming, a descendant of David, who's going to rule and reign on the earth in Israel. We got some more progressive revelation, though, here. What else do we see? Who else is going to worship him? Who else is he going to have authority over? Just Israel? All nations, all people. Folks, I want you to start seeing this. When we talk about the kingdom of God, don't lose sight of the fact that Jesus is coming back to this earth. There's a lot that's going to go on between now and when he does. But Jesus is coming back to set up the, the, his kingdom on the earth. By the way, do you see kind of how foolish it sounds when the church tends to think that we're going to bring about the kingdom? Oh, no. Who does the Bible say is going to bring about the kingdom? Jesus. The one who's God. He's using us in it for his purposes to extend the kingdom in the lives of the believers through the church age. But don't think that the church is the kingdom or the fulfillment of the kingdom or that we're going to bring in the kingdom. Only Jesus. The Bible's very clearly is going to do that. By the way, the New Testament confirms that Jesus is this son of David, this coming king. Go back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. You remember the introduction that we spent a long time on because it was that important? In Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, who? 
the son of David, the son of Abraham. All right. So keep in mind, the, the book started off with Jesus is the one who is prophesied as that descendant of David. Oh, and we also know that he is going to be God himself because of the prophecies in the New Testament confirms it. Go to Luke chapter one. Luke chapter one. And look at verses 30 through 33. Angel speaking to Mary and he says to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. That's God's son. And he will be sorry, called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob. How long? Forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So is there any question as to who this king is that's coming from David, who's also going to be God? <laughs> Folks, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's not Muhammad. It's not Buddha. It's Jesus. The scripture is very, very clear. By the way, even the Muslims think that Jesus was a great prophet. They don't understand. He's God. Oh, the Jehovah's Witnesses think he was an emanation from God, but not God himself. Oh, he's God. He's the one the prophecies all pointed to. Go to Acts chapter 13. We're not done. I hope that tonight, like I told you before we started our recording, we're covering one verse tonight in our study, but I'm going to use 33 passages of Scripture to illustrate that one, that one verse. Because there's so much confusion and there should not be. It's one of the most clear things in all of Scripture about the kingdom of God and who the king is. Acts 13, look at verses 22 through 25. In Acts chapter 13, verse, yeah, verse 22. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king. This is after he removed Saul. And when he removed Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance. That's important. We'll come to that later tonight. To the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me is one coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. So here we see in this passage that the preacher is telling them Jesus is the one who the prophecy talked about coming from David. Go back to Acts chapter 2 and look at Peter's sermon. Acts chapter 2 and look at verses 22 through 36. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. This is Peter preaching at Pentecost under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, Peter wasn't in the upper room on Saturday night working on a sermon. When this came out of his mouth, he hadn't prepared. Oh, but he had because he had been studying the scriptures and walking with this one whom the prophecy was going to be referring to for many years. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 36 Peter says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, this is Jesus, both Lord and Christ. By the way, Lord means king and Christ means Messiah. God has made Jesus both king and Messiah. I'm sorry, 
I'm, I'm already, I'm at the end of my passage. Sorry, I started reading in verse 36. That's where we're going to end up. Go back to verse 22. I got excited and went to the last part. Go to Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered uh, up, up according to the scriptures and to the, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it is not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption." You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. In other words, he, he, he rotted. All right. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of, of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of all that we are witness, all of that we are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out, the, out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Folks, is it any more clear? Who's the coming king? It's Jesus. Now, you, if you go back and look at Matthew 4, 17, because that is the verse we're looking at tonight. You may notice that both Jesus and John the Baptist began their message about the kingdom of God being at hand with a certain word. Repent. That's important. You see, in order to be included in and be a part of this kingdom to come, people would need to, rep to repent of their sins. Let me say this to you again. You want to be a part of this kingdom? You want to be a part of the kingdom in all of its facets, and especially in the kingdom to come that's going to be on the earth with the King of Kings, Jesus himself, who's both a descendant of David and God himself? You want to be a part of this kingdom? You have to repent of your sins. Go to Luke chapter 3. Look at verses 1 through 9. Luke chapter 3, verses 1 and following. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Iteria and Trachonitis, and Lysanus tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. By the way, before I go any further, you want proof that the Bible is legit? If this was something that was made up, you would have never said what you just said there, because all of those people could be historically fact-checked. We always talk about fake news and fact-checking today. Everything that was just written there can be fact-checked. If this book was made up, they would have never wrote that. So when that all happened, word of God came to John. This is John the Baptist, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance 
for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Keep that last part in mind. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. It's going to be important later on tonight. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Keep in mind, the Jewish mindset was, Hey, I'm a Jew. I'm a, of Abraham. I'm one of the tribes. I'm, I'm one of his descendants. When that kingdom comes, I'm going to be a part of it because I'm a Jew. John the Baptist comes and says, hey, you want to get ready for this kingdom? Repent. The kingdom's at hand. The kingdom's about to show up. The kingdom is about to be revealed. By the way, we don't even have time tonight in all these passages we're going to deal with because we're going to deal with it later in our study. When Jesus did the miracles that he did, casting out demons and all that, it was evidence of his kingdom being the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is greater than the kingdom of Satan. And when Jesus came in and cast out demons, he was demonstrating his authority over the demons and he's greater. But we'll deal with that whole aspect of the kingdom later on in our study. We're not even going to get there tonight. But John the Baptist comes and says... You want to be a part of this kingdom? Don't think you're okay because you're a Jew and that he's going to be ruling over Israel. You better repent. You better repent. And if you don't repent and seek forgiveness of your sins, it wasn't just repent. It was repent and seek forgiveness of your sins. You can't be a part of this kingdom. Go to John chapter 3. Jesus himself even said something like this. John chapter 3, look at verses 1 through 15. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs, these signs that you do unless God is with him. I love the fact that Nicodemus tipped the Pharisee's hand. You know how the Pharisees kept saying, he's not from God. He, he, he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. You know, publicly they were all saying, that's not him. Don't follow that guy. He's coming from Satan. In private, they knew. We know you're from God. We know. Nobody could do what you do unless God were with them. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, an interesting here, Matthew uses the term kingdom of God. Doesn't say kingdom of heaven here. It's pretty strong, isn't it? Sorry, sorry, that's right. Thank you. I was like, wait a minute. It's John. That explains why he said kingdom of God. Actually, the reason I bring that out is there are two places in the in the book of Matthew that he does say kingdom of God. We'll deal with those when we get there. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. 
The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with the, everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can those, these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and hear and witness to what we have seen, but you don't receive our testimony. If I've told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus goes on and says to Nicodemus, he says, hey, you want to see the kingdom of God? you got to be born again. I don't understand. Get back in my mother's womb. What are you talking about? No, we're not talking physical birth. We're talking spiritual birth. And how that's tied to is belief in the one that God sent. Folks, that's very important that you grasp this, because I'm about to take you to a passage of Scripture that people that don't believe in the literal return of Jesus to the earth love to throw out. Go with me to Luke chapter 17. In Luke chapter 17... Look at verses 20 and 21. In Luke 17, verse 20, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Some of your translations say within you, and that's a good translation. The kingdom of God is within you. So here they come and they say, when's the kingdom of God going to come? Jesus says, hang on for a second. You think the kingdom of God is just something you'll see coming. It's not received in that way. You don't see the kingdom of God coming. The kingdom of God is within you. Now, those that don't want to believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible and a literal kingdom on the earth will say, see, see, there is no coming kingdom. It's not something you see coming. It's within you. The kingdom of God is within you and that's all it is. No, no, no. Listen to what Jesus was saying. He said, you guys are still sitting back waiting until that day when you see the kingdom come and you think you're going to be okay because, hey, I'm a Jew and I was just jumping in the parade line there. Yeah, that's not how you get into the kingdom. The kingdom of God is a spiritual thing. It has always been entered into spiritually. Is the kingdom of God literal and physical? Is it going to be on the earth physically? Yes, but it has always been entered into by faith and faith alone in Jesus. Don't miss this. If the Jews were willing to receive Jesus as the Messiah, he still would have had to die on the cross for their sins, for the kingdom to happen. We always say, well, if the Jews had just believed in him, the kingdom would have, be would have begun. N not unless he died. You see, if the Jews had all said, hey, we think you're the promised one. You're the one that was, the prophecy fulfills. You're the descendant of David. You're the coming king. We even believe you're God. And Jesus just sat on the throne and wiped out Rome and sat on the throne. Would everything have been good? No. Everybody still would have been damned to hell because he had to die. The only way he could have become the king then, and that was offered to them at that time, that's why Elijah was John the Baptist. I'm sorry, John the Baptist was Elijah, but that's why he's going to still come. It was offered to them, but the only way it could have ever begun at that time when he came the first time, and he knew they were going to reject him anyway, but the only way it could have been received was if they had said, You're God, I'm a sinner, you're holy, I'm not, and I need a sacrifice for my sins. Would you please go to the cross on my behalf? 
Would you be the sacrifice for my sins? And then he died for them, rose from the dead, and the kingdom would have begun right then. Do you understand? The kingdom is not something you say, well, here it comes. It's always been a spiritual thing. You cannot enter the kingdom or even see the kingdom unless you're born again spiritually. And the only way that happens is through faith in God. Oh, by the way, have any of you tried to share this message of salvation through faith in Jesus with friends and loved ones and they just don't get it? Have you ever thought to yourself, well, maybe I'm just not wording it right? Oh, no. Paul said, if what I preach to you makes sense, God's opened your eyes. If it makes no sense, if I'm out of my mind, Satan's blinded you to it. This is a spiritual battle, folks. Pray that their eyes would be opened. Don't think, well, I'll get the preacher. He'll say it better than me. You still think that it's a man thing. This salvation is a work of God, and it's a spiritual thing. You want them to be in the kingdom? Pray that their eyes would be opened. Pray that the seed would be scattered and watered. But if they're going to get it, God's going to do the work. It's not someone who does a good job of wording it just right. Oh, and you can't word it wrong. Because God says it's a spiritual thing. Have you ever noticed how as you look at how the gospel has been shared all the way through the scriptures, Jesus never even used the same terms and the same, same words? He says something different in Nicodemus than he does the woman at the well. Woman at the well, he says, come to me and drink. You want some living water? That makes no sense to me at all. What are, are, you, are you nuts? What do you mean? Where's this water you're talking about? What's this being born again that you're talking about? Jesus wasn't worried like, oh, maybe I need to make it a little more clear. He left it alone. Why? Because he knew that if they're going to get it, the Father's going to get their eyes open. So don't listen to those who say, oh, the kingdom, it's just a, you know, it, it says here in John, sorry, Luke 17, that it's not something that you see coming. It's just within you. No, no, no. Jesus was saying, you're still waiting for the kingdom to come. It's always been entered into by faith. Yes, it's still going to come, but you won't be able to enter it, even if it shows up right on your doorstep, unless you receive it by faith. Did you have a question, Warren? Yeah, is there a possibility the end of 21, Jesus is talking about himself because he was there and he's saying God is in the midst of you? Yep, I believe that's a part of it as well. But again, like we've touched on, it has to be entered to, into by faith. It's a spiritual entry, not a physical entry. You want further proof? Go to John chapter 1. And this is what I think you were referring to right here. I think you just kind of quoted John chapter 1, Warren, which again shows evidence that this is a spiritual thing because you don't have that ability within you. John chapter 1, I said that to you in love. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I think the prophecy said His beginnings were from ancient days. From of old, I think the prophecy said he'll be mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Folks, are you starting to see how the Old Testament keeps getting tied together here? Unfortunately, there's a very famous preacher out there right now. I'm not going to say his name, but if I said it, you'd all know it. Who has now been said that we need to get the church unhitched from the Old Testament. And when I say, if I said his name, you would all know it. He's a very popular, younger preacher. And he's got a dad who's a very famous preacher. And he actually has said that when we share the gospel with people, if you've grown up in the church, if you've grown up in the church, 
You know about the God of the Old Testament because you were taught about the God of the Old Testament. But now we're trying to share with young people about who God is and we're using the New Testament. And if they read the Old Testament, he looks like a totally different God. Therefore, we need to get the church unhitched from the Old Testament, folks. The whole book is the scriptures. The whole book is the scriptures. And Jesus himself said everything written about me in the law and the prophets and the Psalms. This, by the way, after his death and his resurrection. He's writing to the New Testament of believers. Everything written about me in the law and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. I don't think you can be fully the Christian that God designed you to be if you don't understand the Old Testament. It, it's a, all together. He's not two different gods. It's always been the same. It's always been by faith. It's always been by grace. Righteous shall live, the just shall live by faith. It's been that way in the Old Testament. I quoted you an Old Testament passage. You might not have realized that. The righteous and the just shall live by faith. That's an Old Testament passage. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 13, he's always existed. In verse 2, verse two all three things, sorry, my eyes are getting bad. Uh, verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Oh, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. We know him as John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light. But he came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone. And he was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. And yet the world did not know him. And he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave excuse me, the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Do you see it? You have to be born again spiritually, through faith in Jesus. It's the only way you get into the kingdom. It's always been that way. Go ahead. It's, it's the JWs who try to escape this being born again to get into the kingdom. Right. Exactly. They're waiting for the kingdom to come. And actually, it's kind of ironic. They've already passed out all the tickets. They think the 144,000 of the other ones are going to live in heaven. The rest are going to be on the earth. They've already passed out all those tickets years ago because his coming was longer than they thought. And, but they think, exactly, the Jehovah's Witnesses think they'll get to enter the kingdom when it comes in a physical sense. Even though it is going to be physical, you only enter it by spiritual. That's why it's within you. That's, why it has, that's the only way you get in. Great point. Great point. By the way, did you notice how John said that Jesus came to his own, and this is what Warren was talking about, but his own people did not receive him? Did you catch that? I want you to understand something. The kingdom was offered to the Jews first. Don't miss that for a second. The kingdom was offered to the Jews first. Go to Matthew chapter 10. That's why the passage goes on and says he came to his own and his own people that's the Jews. Matthew chapter 10, look at verses 5 through 15. Jesus sent the 12 out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. No bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his food. By the way, that's why Just a Preacher Ministries doesn't charge. 
That's why I don't have a fee to go speak anywhere, and I'll pay all my own way if I have to, to go speak somewhere. That's why we give our books away. That's why we actually will pay for the shipping and the handling. That's why we'll give away the CDs. I think the Bible's very clear that as we go, we should never tell somebody, I'll give you the Word of God if you have enough money. Or if you make a donation, I'll give you the Word of God. You hear what ministries are saying? Jesus said, just go on out. Don't even worry about bringing money. I'll take care of you. And we've been, we've been blessed like you wouldn't believe. It's interesting, this man contacted me the other day. He said, I need another one of your books. I said, great, give me your address and I'll mail it to you. He goes, well, how much? I said, no, no, don't worry, we're giving them away. He goes, I'm willing to pay five bucks. I said, no, don't worry about it. So we mailed him two books, because you never know, he might need another one. We always do that. You ask for one, you're going to get a couple. Think something about if you ask for a coat, give them two or take a mile or whatever. So, so we sent him two books. Do you realize this individual made a donation to the ministry of $100 after that? God says, look, you trust me, watch what I do. You, watch, you trust me, you watch what I do. Folks, stop, stop worrying about, just do what God tells you to do and trust him. As you enter the house, he tells them to greet it and so on. But listen, he tells them to go only to who? Only to the Jews, not even to the Samaritans, who were half Jewish, half Gentile. Go only to the lost sheep of Israel. Go to Romans chapter 1. Look at verses 16 and 17. Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek or to the Gentile. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Again, this gospel of salvation the gospel of the kingdom, they're all connected, has always been to the Jew first, but also to the Gentile. Now, with that in mind, don't miss also, though, that God's word had promised all along that the kingdom was available to all people, to all flesh that acknowledge their need of salvation. Remember that earlier when I said, and all flesh will see the salvation of God? And I said, keep that in mind for later on. That was an Old Testament prophecy that said all flesh is going to see the salvation of God. But why did he tell them to go to the Jew first? Because he's God and he has his purposes and he has his plans and you just have to trust him. But does that mean it wasn't until after the Jews rejected him that the Gentiles could be saved? No. What got Jesus in trouble while he was on the earth? The fact that he actually talked about how during the time of Elijah, when there was no rain, there were a lot of widows in Israel. And God only took care of a widow in Tyre and Sidon, a Gentile. And during the time of Naaman, who was healed of leprosy, who was a Gentile, there were lots of Jewish people who had leprosy at the time. You remember when he's in his hometown of Nazareth and he said that? And he pointed out that God had been doing blessings for Gentiles. They tried to kill him. It's always been over and open and available to all. But for his purposes and for his reasons, he offered it to the Jews first. Part of the reason is they had had a lot more light. They had had a lot of the stuff being taught to them. They had the scriptures. The other nations didn't have the scriptures like they did. But it's interesting. Do you remember the story of the Ethiopian eunuch? He's Ethiopian. And he worked for the Candace, queen of Egypt. Yet he was on his way to Jerusalem to go worship. Why? Because he believed in the God of Israel. And he was reading the Old Testament prophecies. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 40. We have one more page left, and I have 13 minutes. But this one page has 12 more passages. We can do it. We can do it. Go to Isaiah chapter 40. 
I want you to see that all along the scripture has said that even though it was to the Jew first, the kingdom was available to all. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Who is it? John the Baptist. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Go back to Luke chapter 3. Actually, you're in Isaiah. I'm sorry. Go to Isaiah. While you're in Isaiah, go to Isaiah 49. We'll try to hit the ones that are closer to pick up speed a little bit here. Y'all have done well. Finish strong now. Finish strong. Isaiah 49, verses 5 and 6. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you a light for who? For the Gentiles, for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. That's an Old Testament passage, folks, that God was going to use the nation of Israel to reach the world. Oh, by the way, doesn't Paul say something similarly? If their rejection means hope for the Gentiles, how much more shall their full inclusion be? Think how awesome it's going to be when Israel does turn to the Lord. When the Jews turn to the Lord, it's going to be an amazing time. It's going to be an amazing time. All right, Luke chapter 3. Can't help but preach on each one of these passages, but I'm doing my best not to. Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. We already read this, but I want you to see it again. Actually, because I already read it, just write it down and look at it. And again, you see in verse 6, he quotes from that passage in Isaiah, all flesh shall see the salvation of God. You're in Luke, go to chapter 13. See, that wasn't so painful. You had one passage you didn't even have to read. Luke 13, look at verses 22 through 30. He, Jesus, went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he'll say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first. And some of the first will be last. Here Jesus is talking about a future kingdom to come. And he says that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who had long since died, are going to be a part of it. But the Jews, who thought they could just enter the kingdom because the king shows up and, hey, we can just join in the conga line. We're in the kingdom. He's going to say, no, 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 you're not in the kingdom because you'll only enter it spiritually. I never knew you. But, Lord, didn't we do these things in your name? And didn't we do mighty works in your name? Didn't know you. You're trying to get in on your own effort, get in on your own hard work, 
Folks, I hope there's no one in here tonight. I hope there's no one in here listening online that thinks you're getting to heaven because you've been a good person or because you've worked hard for Jesus. So you've served on that committee for so many years. You only get into the kingdom one way, and that's through faith alone in Jesus Christ. If I don't do another thing for the rest of my life, I'm still in the kingdom because it's not by what I, for what I do. If I were paralyzed or crippled, unable to speak, I still am in the kingdom. Oh, Jim, that's because of all you've done in the previous years. Oh, no, you still don't get it. Anything that I did is filthy rag. Everything I did will burn up at the judgment. It's through faith alone that I'm in the kingdom. And I thank God for it. Go to Acts chapter 11. Look at verses 1 and following. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard the Gentiles who had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending and being lit down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of the prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing uncommon or unclean has ever entered. Sorry, common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were were, we were sent to, which were sent to me from Caesarea. And the spirit told me to go with them. Making no distinction, these six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house, and he told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He'll declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as it had on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now I got to talk about something real quick from this passage. The only thing that makes this story something you can bank on, besides the fact that it's in the Word of God, is the fact that they didn't just use the experience to prove the evidence, but that it matched up with what Jesus said. And if you were to go look at Acts chapter 15, when the, the church uh, leaders in Jerusalem are wrestling over this issue of whether or not the Gentiles need to be circumcised, if you go to verse um, 12 of chapter 15, and all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has re related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people from his name, or for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Don't miss this. There's a danger right now of people coming and saying, I know it's not in the Bible, but this awesome spiritual thing happened and God's doing a new thing. 
If it's not backed up by scripture, don't believe it. This looks like some wacky thing because the Jews in their mind thought they were the only ones going. And how dare Peter go into a Gentile house? But Peter then comes and says, yeah, but the spirit fell on them. So they must be okay. No, the spirit fell on them like he did on us. And it lined up with what Jesus said. And then in Acts 15, they said, you know what? The scripture actually says that the Gentiles all along would be a part of this. Okay, this is not a new thing. This is something that's been going on for a long time. There are things that are happening now in the church that are not biblical. They're not backed up by God. Oh, they're backed up by evidences and miracles and all this kind of stuff. But it's not of God. And what is the Antichrist going to be able to do? To perform miracles and wonders that will deceive even the elect if that were possible. Folks, beware of anyone that says, I know it's not in the Bible, but God's doing this new thing. Mm -mm. If it's not in the book, it's not of God. We don't have time, but if you go look at Acts chapter 26, verses 19 through 23, you'll see that again, the scripture shows that, uh, um, well, actually, here's what we're going to do. We'll close with that verse. I'll pick up where I was going to finish off that last little bit to, uh, next time we get together. It won't be next week because they'll be voting in here. One last passage. Go to Acts 26, verses 19 through 23. I shouldn't be surprised that we didn't get through all of my notes, and that's okay. You listened as fast as you could. I know you did. Acts 26, verses 19 through 23. Paul's speaking to Agrippa, and he says, Therefore... O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and to great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Are those Paul's words or Moses and the prophet's words? Moses and the prophet's words. Moses and the prophet's words. So folks, this salvation's always been to everyone. His light has gone out into all the world. His word has gone into all the earth. Did the Jews have a benefit that they had more light? Without question. But did the Jews also have a greater responsibility because they had more light? Definitely, because we talked about that last week. Next time we get together. Next week, there's not a Bible study because of the voting, but we're going to meet the week after. I'll just give you a little heads up. We're going to take a look at how the Old Testament clearly portrayed that this kingdom of God is going to be literally on the earth. It has to be. It has to be. It has to be. Or we have to throw away a lot of our Bibles. So, everybody understand the kingdom now? We good? Everybody understands the kingdom? You're lying to me if you do, because I don't even fully grasp it myself. It's an awesome thing. I love you. We'll see you in two weeks.